I want to begin with a word of prayer as we, we think about this message because it's been interesting. Uh, the last couple of weeks I've been out in the community talking to people and listening to their concerns and their fears and their worries and there's been a lot of, um, a lot of anxiety, a lot of stress thinking about the situation of the world. Even this morning as I came in, someone asked me to be sure and pray for uh, Puerto Rico and some of the other countries, the islands down in the path of the hurricanes. And, and even yesterday, being with a family who'd lost loved ones due to a tragedy. And, uh, you know, it's just a lot of things going on. So let's, let's focus and go to the Lord for just a minute in prayer. Heavenly Father, I am so grateful that as we come together as a body of believers, God, we can call on you and we can trust you and we can share with you our heart and our concerns. Lord, you're an awesome God. And I'm so grateful, Lord, for prayer and I'm grateful for truth. I'm thankful, Lord, that you said you would never leave us nor forsake us, that you would be with us to the end of time. Lord, I ask that you give us peace and rest in our hearts today. And God, you help us who are here together today in this place. Give us encouragement. Help us to see you and help us to focus on you. Lord, as we pray, we remember those around us throughout the world that are struggling, that are suffering, that, that are going through all kinds of difficulties, not having electricity or water, not even having a home to be able to walk under a roof at night. God, we have it so good. I, I thank you this morning for letting me rest in a shelter and having protection. There are some in this world, Lord, that that's been snatched away from them. So we, we pray for them. Thank you, Lord, that as a church, as a body of believers, we can do that. We can pray for those. But also, Lord, ask that you not only help us to pray for people, but, God, that you help us put feet to our prayers. Help us to do what we can do. Help us to be a vessel, a channel of blessing from us to them, from you to us to them. Because, Lord, life is not about us. It's about you. You either allow things like this to happen in our, in our lives or you, you cause them. I don't know. It's not mine to know. It's just mine to trust. So I trust you with our lives and I trust you with everything, Lord, that belongs to you. And I, and I ask that you help me to do that even more. Lord, humble us so that we can see just how great you are. Thank you for letting us be here. Now speak to us, Lord. Holy Spirit, have your way, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to look with me at Romans chapter 8, verse 29. We, we've shared this verse. It's kind of the theme verse for these four messages that are focused on being transformed in the Lord. Paul writes to the Romans and says this. He says, for those God foreknew for those that he knew were going to be his. He also predestined or predetermined 
to be conformed to the likeness of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So God made up his mind a long time ago in advance that each of us who are saved by faith in Jesus Christ will be conformed into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. We're gonna be conformed. It's part of his plan. The word conform is the word in the Greek, sumorpho. It means literally to render like to mold, to shape, to conform. It's the idea of being pressed into a mold so that we come out looking exact, exactly alike in some way or form. I said to you last week that God's desire is for us to uh, be like Jesus in character. And, and this is the third message in the series. We look first at us being like him in forgiveness, forgiving one another, being forgiven and yet forgiving also taking up truth, living truth, sharing truth. And today we're gonna to look at humility. Paul said this, he said, what this means is that those who become Christians become new people, new persons. They're not the same anymore. Their old life is gone. A new life has begun. And that is true for us when we put faith in Christ. A new life is started. But folks, I want you to understand that there can only be uh, the, the, there can only be conforming to the image of Christ if there's first transformation. There's got to be transformation. Without transformation, there is no conforming. Unless you're saved, you cannot be shaped. You cannot reflect the image of Christ unless you have been spiritually changed internally by the saving work of Christ. And as we think about the Christian life, it's all about being changed. It's all about being shaped into the image of the, the, the Lord. Now, he's doing that for a couple of reasons. He's preparing us for eternity, but he's also preparing us to serve him in doing kingdom work. I, I shared this passage uh, a couple of weeks ago where Paul writes in the 12th chapter of Romans in verse one, and so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. Now you think about it. It's easy to give your soul to the Lord. It is. It's a different matter, though, when you give your body to the Lord because that takes action. That takes a, a sacrifice. He says, let them be a living, holy sacrifice, the kind that he will accept. When you think of what he has done for you, is it too much to ask? He says, don't copy the behaviors and the customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think then you will know what God wants you to do. Notice that. He'll, you'll know what he wants you to do and you will know how good and pleasing and perfect his will really is. He used the word transform. It's a little bit different than the word conform. It is the Greek word metamorpho. It means to change, to assimilate, or to transform into something new. And as we've said, God's desire is to change each one of us who have faithed Christ, to leave our old character behind, and to take up the character of Christ Jesus. And that is certainly the work of Christ in us. That is the activity of the Holy Spirit transforming our life from what it was to what it should be. But it is also the result of a personal choice. Now, think with me for a moment. You can choose to be shaped or you can reject God's shaping. A lot of people want to go to heaven, but they don't want to put their body on the, the, the potter's wheel and let God shape it into the image that he desires for it to be. Because that takes, that takes pressure, that takes power, that takes 
You know, God doing a lot of things in our life sometimes that aren't comfortable. Now, just like you can choose to be shaped or not be shaped, you can also choose to serve or not to serve the Lord. But as many have said, and I've said here many times, if you're saved and you're a member of the church, then God expects you to use your spiritual gift in this to be a blessing and a benefit to other people. God doesn't give us spiritual gifts for ourselves. He gives us those gifts to use on and for other people. So let me ask you this question. I wish all of our membership was here. But what are you currently doing to serve the Lord? What are you doing? Are you involved in some kind of ministry? Or are you just coming in on Sunday and, and setting and soaking? We should be standing and serving. Amen? Sharing the gospel and seeing other people come to know the Lord. Paul says there are different kinds of service in the church. But it is the same Lord that we are serving. There are different ways that God works in our lives. But it is the same God who does the work through all of us. Notice verse 7. He says a spiritual gift has, or is given to each of us as a means of helping the entire church. Think about that. Every one of us who profess faith in Jesus Christ, if we're truly saved, we have at least one spiritual gift. Now, spiritual gifts are very different than human talents. There are many different types of talents. We're born with many different kinds of abilities. Some people can sing and play instruments and, and can write and, and can speak and teach. In fact, there are a lot of people that have all of those gifts all tied up in one or those talents all tied up in one life. But, you know, uh, a spiritual gift is different. Tony Evans says that a spiritual gift is the ability sovereignly given by God that he wants the believer to focus on in a unique way because he wants to use that gift through the believer in a unique way to build his kingdom and to mature the body of Christ. Now, God may decide to make one of your natural talents a spiritual gift or he may give you something entirely different. But the key is not what he gives, but the fact that you're gonna, he's going to take that gift and use it for the building up of his body. Again, there is uh, in every one of us who are true believers, there's a spiritual gift, which tells me that every believer has a special work in the church to do. Every one of you, if you're a Christian, there's something that God wants you to do within the body of Christ. To benefit the rest of the body. You say, but Brother Andy, I don't know what my spiritual gifts are. I haven't got a clue. I don't even know where to look. Well, again, I like what Dr. Evans says. He says, even though you may not know what your gift is, God knows. And he wants to reveal it to you, but he only hits a moving target. I like that. That's good. He says he only hits a moving target. That is, you can't just sit around doing nothing until God drops a revelation on you. He says get busy serving with your talents in the local church and he'll make your spiritual gifts very obvious to you. That is so true. Test the waters. If you like to do something, you have a passion for it and you're good at it, Try it. Figure out how to do it within the body of Christ because the body needs you, and so does God. Paul writes these words, powerful words. He said, God is the one who 
gave these gifts to the church. He gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastor teachers. He gave leadership to the church. And their responsibility is to equip God's people. Well, how do we do that? Well, we, we, we try to have an environment where you can flourish. We, we try to create opportunities where you can serve. We certainly encourage you so you'll take a step forward and do what maybe you're afraid to do. Try it. Test the waters. Their responsibility, according to Paul, is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, which is the body of Christ, until we come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature and full grown in the Lord, measuring up to the full stature of Christ. Then we will no longer be like children, forever changing our minds about what we believe because someone has told us something differently or different or because someone has cleverly lied to us and made a lie sound like the truth. Instead, he said, we will hold to the truth in love, becoming more and more in every way like Christ. Isn't that the goal? Becoming like Jesus, who is the head of the body, his, the church. He says in verse 16, under his direction, under the direction of the Spirit of God working in us and through us, the whole body is fitted together perfectly. And notice these last words, as each part does its own special work. Circle the words, each part. And you could probably draw a line above that and just put your name there. As I do my own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Jesus certainly fulfilled that role. He did that part of serving us. He was certainly a servant example. He came to this earth not to be served, but to serve. That's what he said. For even the Son of Man, even I, the Son of Man, came not here to be served, but to serve others and to give my life as a ransom for many. That, that was the Father's plan. That was the Father's will for Jesus. Now, I wonder, um, how, how many of you grew up doing what your father always told you to do? I didn't think I'd get too many hands. I, I saw one, but it went up quick and went down. I want to remind you, I preached on truth last week. So let's don't be lying this morning, okay? You know, I, I, my dad told me a lot of things to do when I was growing up. And I, I have to confess, I didn't always do what my dad told me to do. I remember dad telling me, son, the grass needs to be cut, so cut the grass. Well, I didn't always cut the grass. I didn't always clean my room. I didn't always take out the garbage. There were a lot of things my dad told me to do that I didn't do. I, I was like most of you. I wanted to do what I wanted to do, and I wanted to do it the way I wanted to do it, and I'd get around to doing what he wanted me to do later. And sometimes later never came. <laughs> and, and God called me to, a, or my dad called me to account for that. You, you know what I'm talking about. A lot of the times when I did what I wanted to do, it didn't turn out too good. And what I thought was going to be fun didn't, didn't turn out to be as much fun as I thought it would be. But I have to be honest, everything my father ever told me to do, if I obeyed him and did it, it was always good. It came out well. Because my dad was a, a wise man. He was a smart man. Jesus humbled himself to do what his father sent him to this earth to do. In character, he was a humble man. He was a humble servant. 
You know, a, a great Kodak moment, a snapshot of the life of Jesus and his humility was seen at the cross when Jesus went there dying for sinners like you and me. And one of my favorite verses, Romans 5 verse 6 says, when we were utterly helpless. Have, have you ever been there before? When you were at the end of yourself and you were utterly helpless and you just had no control over the situation and you were in a desperate strait, have you ever been there? I, I have. I, I, I know what that feels like. He says when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and he died for sinners, for us sinners. Now, no one is likely to die for a good person, though someone might be willing to die for a, a person who is really especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. You know, Paul is saying that we might die for somebody that's really special and really good. It's impacted our life, but, but Jesus died for the worst. Think about that. Stop for a minute and try to, try to get a hold of the scope of, of that divine moment. Jesus dying for sinners Jesus, in all that he was, died for us. I mean, he died for you and me. And the greatest expression of humility that I, that I think the world will ever see was when he died on that cross for us. What is the opposite characteristic of humility? You know, it's been said, if, if you're not humble, you might be a redneck. Y'all didn't get that, did you? That's a southern joke. If you're not humble, you just might be proud. You got that. If you're not humble, you might be proud. There wasn't a proud bone in Jesus' body, not, not a one. And if we claim to be Christians, there shouldn't be any in us. In fact, Paul said it this way. He says, live in harmony with one another. Isn't it just like God to make us so different? And then pull us all together and say, okay, people, I want y'all to live in harmony together because we are so different. He said, don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Mm -hmm. Don't be conceited. That's exactly what Jesus did at the cross. When you think about it, Jesus made friends that day with the scum of the earth, with the worst of sinners. He chose to associate and identify with the unrighteous. And you and I have a pretty hard time doing that. Think about it. Just, just think about the people you mingle with. Think about it. He was humble to the Father's will. He died for the worst of the worst for sinners. Now, unbelievably amazing that he would do that. That's just so different from what our culture teaches us. That's so different from what we grew up doing. We're really kind of cliquish, if you don't mind me using that term. Our world doesn't value humility. We, we live in a world, for the most part, that associates humility 
with meekness and weakness. The world sees meekness and weakness as being something negative. But not so with Jesus. Jesus has a very different message about humility. In fact, in his mind, in the mind of Christ, humility is, is actually empowering. You gotta think about it. When you think about the cross, it was, was actually his humility that allowed him to be willing to take on the challenge of defeating death and, and being victorious over Satan on the behalf of, of humanity. What is our enemy? Is it not our greatest enemy, death, right? I don't, if I, if I were to say, okay, we're going to all die today, who wants to get in line first? <laughs> the line would be going out the back door, right? We, we don't want to die. It, it happens though. Science has made huge strides in being able to extend our life and give us life beyond what a lot of people in third world countries live. They may be able to extend your life for a time, but sooner or later you are going to die. It's going to happen. You can't avoid that. You can't escape death. But, but through the humility of Jesus, he, he obeyed the, the command of his father and he, he, he conquered death. He conquered his, his own death and, and even ours. Now, again, the world in which we live doesn't value humility they don't associate humility with power, but this morning we're going we're gonna to look at the life of Jesus Christ and his humility. And we're going to see that the Bible teaches us that humility is actually power. And because we can live in humility, the humility of Christ, we can be powerful in doing the things that God has called us to do. You know, the, the, the most powerful life that you can live is not becoming the president of the United States. There's a lot of power there, right? But the most powerful life you can live is, is lived in complete obedience to the will of God, doing what God called you to do. So, so how can you truly understand the magnitude of the humility of Christ? Ronnie kind of alluded to it in the, the songs, spoke about it this morning as we sang. I think the first thing we do is we recognize just who Jesus is. And then we start looking at what the Bible says about his humility. I want to begin by looking at John chapter 1. This is a powerful, powerful verse in John's gospel. John begins with these words. He says, in the beginning, and that was not uh, 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 God's beginning. God is eternal. Amen. He's always existed and always will. It was our beginning. It was the beginning of creation. It says, in the beginning, the word already existed. He was with God and he was God. He was in the beginning with God. He created everything there is and nothing exists that he didn't make. Life itself was in him. And this life gives light to everyone. So who is John referring to here? Who is the word? Well, there's a clue in the 17th chapter of John that I want us to look at, beginning in verse 1. John writes, when Jesus had finished saying these things, he looked up to heaven and he said, Father, the time has come. Uh, glorify your son so he can give glory back to you for you have given him authority over everyone in all the earth. He gives eternal life to each one you have given to him. 
And this is the way to have eternal life. You, you have eternal life by, by knowing you, uh, the one true God and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. He goes on in verse 4 to say, I brought glory to you here on earth by doing everything that you told me to do. And now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. Obviously, the word is a reference to Jesus Christ. But, but honestly, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? There's all kind of opinions out there about who Jesus is. Uh, the Nicene Creed states that Jesus is this. Light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being one of one substance with the Father by whom all things are made. Now, they had to deliberate that to come to that conclusion. And if you study what took place there at the Council of Nicaea, uh, you'll understand that they made that declaration based on just one letter of the Greek language. And it was the letter I. Now, you say, well, that, that's trivial. Just a letter of the alphabet? But the difference between the Greek word for similar and same is one letter, the letter I. Interesting. Even one letter or one comma can have a huge impact on life. There's a story told about a lady who was traveling in Europe back when the telegraph was in place she was traveling with some other ladies and while there she went into a, a jewelry store one day and she found a, a bracelet that she loved. It was a diamond bracelet valued at $75,000. One of the days of telegraph, $75,000 was a lot of money. <laughs> a lot of money, still a lot of money to me. But it was a whole lot of money back then and so she sent her husband a telegraph to see if it would be okay for her to buy that diamond bracelet. Well, he immediately sent a message back and it said, no, comma, price too high. However, the guy who was operating the telegraph that day forgot to put the comma in and when she received the message, it said, no, price too high. <laughs> and so she bought that bracelet and she wore it all the way home and that was the first thing he saw <laughs> when she got home. Um, he was able to sue the telegraph company and get his money back, but, you know. Guys, listen, Jesus is not similar to God. He is the same as God. He is God. And we need to never forget that. He is God. And it's so important that we understand that he is the incarnate word who in the beginning created the world simply by speaking it into existence. Jesus shines light. He gives life. He dispenses love to everybody who worships him as God of very God. Now, here's our theme verse for today. If you want to look with me at Ephesians, or excuse me, Philippians chapter 2 verse 5. 
And you'll see how all this wraps up and ties in together. But Paul writes, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God. That's the King James translation. The word, the Greek word for robbery is a thing seized by theft. It, it later came to mean something else. It, it, it came to mean things like to clutch something, to embrace something, or to prize something. The New Living Translation says it this way in verse 6. Though he was God, he did not demand and cling to his right as God. You see, Jesus never used his position to ignore the will of God. He, he never used his place to draw a line in the sand with God and declare his emancipation from, from the plans that God had for his life. He never used his power to demand his right to rule from heaven. Never. No, in fact, all that Jesus did was demonstrate that there was no limit to how far he was willing to lower himself. With complete disregard for his glory and his rightful place, in the kingdom of God, his desire to accomplish the will of his father was all that Jesus valued. It was what he valued the most. And, and verse 7 of that same chapter speaks so well of that. It said that Jesus made himself nothing. He was everything, but he made himself nothing. He, he took the humble position of a slave, and he appeared in human form. And in human form, he obediently humbled himself even further by dying a criminal's death on the cross. Our king died as a criminal. Can you get a hold of that? Is it, is it possible to get that in our mind and understand? He didn't have to, but he chose to lay aside all of his privileged and, and rightful dignity and authority and he allowed himself to be crucified. Here's the truth. He did not consider himself above enduring the disgrace and the pain of suffering for your sin and my sin. He didn't do that. He chose not to be better than us. We're the ones that deserve to die on the cross. We were the sinners, and yet he chose not to be any better than you. He was a humble servant. John Murphy writes about this, and this is what he wrote. He said his humility was an expression of his power as well as the basis of his access to accomplish the powerful work of God. From this, one can only conclude that the most humble man on the planet is also the most powerful man, and it follows that the more humility we have, the more that God is able to use us to accomplish his plan. And to make this personal, he says, the more humility I have, the more God is able to use me to accomplish his purpose. He says, as God's people, and by the example of Christ, we simply do not have a position that justifies any willingness, unwillingness to please God. Folks, the humility of Jesus is perfect. It is absolute. It's flawless. He never saw himself being above or better than anybody around him. He, he never saw himself being 
better than anybody that he came to save. And he certainly never saw himself as being better than the one that sent him to earth with this special mission. Now, as you look inside yourself, you, you have to admit that there's nobody in this room that can make that kind of claim. All of us have peered from above sometimes and looked down on people. Amen? Or oh me. <laughs> We've all done that. We've all judged people. That's, that mindset comes from our, our sinful nature, our prideful sinful nature. We all struggle with that. It's been said that if we feel that we're better than the task before us or if we feel that we're better than some other person, then we're saying that there's something about us that's special. And we poke our chest out and we go, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit better. When we make that kind of claim or we have that kind of attitude. You know, a better than you mentality shows up when we think that we're too good to suffer like those who experience hardship in life. And sometimes we get the mindset, you know, I don't deserve cancer. I don't deserve to have a pregnant teenage daughter. Or I don't deserve to lose my house or my job or my loved ones. I don't deserve that. Sometimes when these things happen to us, we, we find ourselves resenting God uh, for our suffering and we blame him for not intervening and, and for exempting us from that kind of thing that happens. A better than you mentality shows up also when we think that we're too good to serve people who are homeless or who, who don't have jobs or don't have anything. We, it, we see it show up when we think that we're too good to share with what, we, you know, what we've worked for and, and, and what we've earned with, with others who have nothing. Sometimes we get the mindset, you know, <laughs> I have, you don't. So that speaks loudly. There must be a reason, you know, God's blessed me, but you're not as blessed as I am, therefore I must be better than you. Mm. That hurts to think about that, doesn't it? So quickly we find ourselves judging other people. But here's the spiritual truth that we need to hang on to. No person has any inherent righteousness of his own. No person is in any way better or more deserving of the love of God than anybody else. In the second chapter of Romans, Paul writes these words, God doesn't have any favorites. We're all equal in the eyes of God. The question is, are we willing to accept that truth? Can you accept the truth that no person is more deserving of God's love than any other person? Can we, can we accept that? Well, well, preacher, what about those people that are really, really, really bad? Hitler. It doesn't get much lower than that. Hitler. And all the people that he had put to death. We just went through 9-11, Osama bin Laden. He's not very high on the ladder, ladder either, is he? And how about Rocket Man? <laughs> he hadn't done anything yet, but he's just so unstable that he might. We don't know. 
That's getting pretty low on the run, isn't it? We think it is anyway. But you know what? A better than you attitude comes from within our own self. It comes from our sinful nature. It really does. And Satan loves for us to judge others. And he loves certainly within the body of Christ for us to judge each other. He loves it when we feel like we're better than other people. That, that's a characteristic of the devil. Listen, he still believes that he is as good or better than God. He thinks he's worthy of the throne of God. And that's why Satan and Jesus are just so completely different. To this very day, Satan aspires to, to be God and rule everything. He'd take that today if he could get it. He thinks he's worthy. But Jesus in no way ever considered himself worthy of the position that he had. So it's our sin nature. It's our sin nature that tempts us to constantly compare ourselves with others and judge them. It's our sin nature that feeds us thoughts that we're somehow better than other people. But listen, just because we still have a sin nature and just because our sin nature wants us to have a haughty attitude that looks down on other people doesn't mean we have to. Amen? We don't have to. We can have victory from understanding and accepting the truth of God. That is why we have to know what truth is. That's why we need a Bible. That's why we need, to under, we need to read the Bible and understand the Bible. The truth is what sets us free, the Bible says. And here's the truth. God loves every one of us. What's that old phrase, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight? Jesus loves the little children of the world. He loves all of us, no matter who we are, no matter what we've done. Warts and all. We were having that discussion earlier this morning out in the parking lot. You know, when, when God had the Bible compiled and he put it all together, he didn't just tell us about the good people, did he? He didn't just tell us about the, the wicked, evil people. He talked about his people. And he exposes us for who we really are. He, he shows us, you know, our flaws in living color. But God loves us still. Are you glad God loves you? Amen. Amen. I am. I, you know, hmm. I wonder, uh, as, I, as I share this with you, I, I, I wonder if you met, uh, I've got a new friend. And I, and I wonder if you maybe met my new friend. I met him at a, a restaurant not too long ago right here in Smithfield. And uh, he's, a, he's a really interesting guy. Um, I invited him to come. I, I was hoping he would be here earlier this morning. I did see him peek his little head around the corner back there earlier. And he's probably a little embarrassed to come in because he got here late, which tells me he'll fit in well here at Harvest. <laughs> okay. But I suspect he's seated out there in the, in the room. I, I want to prepare you before I, I, I want to go back and get him and bring him in if you don't mind. But I want to kind of prepare you before I do. I just feel like I need to do that. Now, we've got a really easy church, right? We're kind of laid back. We're easy. We're very accepting of people. But, but I, I, need to, I need to kind of fill you in on this guy because Joyce hadn't met him yet. Um, I, I, I met him one day when... I was eating by myself, and I need to let you know 
that several years ago he was arrested for domestic violence. His girlfriend did drop the charges, but nonetheless, he, he's been arrested. He has a history. And, and I also need to let you know that last year he lost his house because he was put on a sex offender's list. He's not a person you meet every day. He was real open with me when I had chance to talk with him. Um, I stayed over and he, he's a dishwasher. He, he's a busboy. He doesn't have a very good job. And in fact, I was, I was pretty amazed that I saw him back there earlier because I didn't, I didn't think he would even be able to get here today. I couldn't go get him, but I didn't know if he would make it because his cars broke down and, and his Harley's got a flat tire. And when I bring him in, you, you're going to have to, I don't know what kind of language you'll use. And I need to warn you that he doesn't smell very good. He's homeless. And he, he lives on the street and out of his car. Y'all ready to meet him? Are you sure you want to? Any concerns? Any reservations? Were there ever any thoughts as I described him that maybe he doesn't belong here? <laughs> You're unique then. Because not everybody does. I'll confess, he's not real. Some of you kind of thought that when I got started, but I saw some looks on some of his faces as well. But you know, the, the friend that I was describing to you, even though he's not real, there are a lot of those kind of people out there. The world's full of them. Most of the time, we don't meet them or don't interact with them because when we see them, we shun them or we, we move away from them. Am I right? Uh-huh. And even though that is the kind of person that Jesus died for as well as dying for us, how often do we give them distance? See, Jesus in his humility loved the lowest of the lowest. Yeah. Who does Jesus love the most? You or them? Who, who, who does he think is more righteous? You or them? Who does he, who's he, who did he die for? Who would he die for today? You, you or, or them? We, we've got to go back. It all comes back to this one thought. Who, who is the most worthy of his love? 
Does any does anyone have any more or less inherent righteousness than anybody else? You know, the answer is is clear in Scripture. It's no. So we have to we have to reject that idea and get rid of that fleshly mentality. We we need to take on the humility of Christ and we don't need to be judgmental of other people, do we? If our heart is going to be transformed, if we're going to be forgiving, if we're going to live in truth and share truth, and if we're going to have the humility of Christ, then we've, we've got to <laughs> we got to clean our heart and get our perspective in proper order. Um, it's important. If we're honest... Who in here today struggles with the humility, taking on the humility of Christ and loving people like he loves us? Just just look at yourself and look inside. We can say what we want to say, but our actions speak louder than words, do they not? It's how we relate to people. I want us to bow our heads for just a moment because I want to pray for us if we're going to be the church that God wants us to be to reach the world that we need to reach for him then then we need to take on the humility of Christ and we need to be more like him so every head bowed every eye closed I ask that you pray with me as I pray Father please forgive me forgive us Forever believing that we have any goodness or righteousness in ourselves that is not from you. Father, forgive us for not giving you credit for our gifts and our position in life. We acknowledge that you alone are responsible for all the goodness in our life, and, and we thank you and we praise you. Father, forgive us for trying to build ourselves up by judging other people. Lord, we know that the urge to judge others is the result of pride, our fleshly desire, and our fleshly life. And we ask you, Lord, to give us the strength to resist that desire. And, and Lord, help us to be like Jesus. Father, we're human beings. And as we trusted you to be our Lord and Savior, Lord Jesus, we accepted the fact that the Father was going to shape us into the image of who you are. That's not always easy, and sometimes we struggle with it because we don't want to lay our body down in front of you and let you shape us and and our attitudes and our thoughts and our actions and our character. Father, if we're honest, so often we just want to live our life. We want to go to heaven, but we... We don't want to do the things, Lord, that you called us and left us here to do. And that is to love people where they are. To love them with with a love that does not judge them. Father, I ask that you change our heart. Transform us. Shape us. Help us to become more loving, more kind, more gracious, more giving, and more gentle. Forgive us, Lord, for where we failed you. Lord, this morning I pray that we will allow you to shape us 
even in this moment. Those things that are in our life that need to go so that we can be more like you, I ask, Lord, that you put those on our heart, that you help us, Lord, to give them to you and trust you to take those things from our life so that, Lord, we're no longer going to struggle with them. Holy Spirit, give us the power and the, the ability to live in the strength of the Lord, to say no to sin and yes to a loving Savior that desires to use our lives. Thank you, Lord, that you're a God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances and on and on. You're a forgiving God. Please, Lord, invade our life today and help us to become like you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Let's all stand today. And I just want to leave you with this question. What is it in your life that's hindering you from being shaped into the image of Christ? Every one of us needs to look inside. What's going on in us that right now is hindering us from becoming everything that God wants us to be? And whatever that might be, will you give it to the Lord and trust Him? And let him remove that and shape you today. Will you come?